Welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy Church. We're up here having fun before we even got started. And uh, Barb Connors is going to talk to us on forgiveness. We were just talking about this. We men need this, but the women also need it. <laughs> we're just talking. Equal you know, opportunity. Men, men tend to, you know, when, when the wife is gnawing on us, you know, we're sitting here and saying, I can't remember a thing you've done, you know. But the wife, she's not my wife, but the woman can remember, yeah, it was two years ago at 2.10 p.m. The wind was blowing at 11 miles an hour out of the northeast. It was 86 degrees, and you said... How can I compete with that? Okay, so we can't remember, and they can't forget. (laughs) But even with us men, there are times where someone has really offended us, and we don't forget it either. I'm just reminded, as I'm saying that, I'm just reminded, Stan, you want me to tell you? No, no, I got it, I got it, I got it, I remember it too. Anyway, so she's going to talk on forgiveness. Lord, we ask you to give her your anointing, fill her mouth and heart with your words, help us to remember them, and help us to learn to forgive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey, it's a great day in the house of the Lord. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. I am so thankful to be here, and I'm very happy to give this message today because uh, the Lord laid it on my heart, and um, he's been walking me through it. So I am walking through the power of forgiveness in my life. And I'm really old, guys, so I've got a lot to forgive. I have a lot of things. Um, The older you are, the more life you have, the more offenses you may have gathered and things you've not forgiven. Um, So uh, hopefully, and I'm praying, and I know, and I have God-fidence, confidence in God, that this message is for all of us, and some of us in particular are going to be set free. So I'm going to do a fair use disclaimer because I'm using some material from the Internet for educational purposes. It's for teaching. So why talk about forgiveness? Well, I just gave a personal testimony that I am walking through this right now, and God is doing a work in me. But we all need it. First of all, we need his forgiveness, right? And um, he made that possible for us. Praise the Lord. And the power of that cross is what allows us to forgive others see this right here this destroys the kingdom of darkness okay the power of the cross is what undoes the forgiveness undoes the works of darkness so this is huge so when we hold unforgiveness what do you think's happening we are powering the kingdom of satan not good not good um through the prayer requests and different people that I've talked with, I've seen that people are, are being um, mistreated, some chronically, some um, acutely. Um, situations we can't avoid, people we live with, bosses, employers, different things. Um, it could be anyone, really. But we all have, to some degree, to have to deal with um, offense, and being hurt and mistreated by others and how to respond to that as a Christian who wants to walk with God. So that's why we're talking about it. It all begins with the cross. And I wanted to say that um, if you need 
a convincing reason to forgive, remember what he did for you. And he wasn't holding on to that grudge. His arms were open wide. His hands were open wide. And he was naked and abused and hurt for you. He took and paid your price to forgive. Forgiveness really is an exchange. It's a debt paid. Okay? So it's, it's really, you know... Uh, Jesus paid the price. The wages of sin is death. He paid that price so that we may be forgiven. And our forgiveness of others is to let go of that debt. You don't owe me anything. You don't have to repay me. I don't need revenge, right? Debt paid in full. So the power of the cross is the power of forgiveness for us and for us to others. And what God gave us, we are to give freely. And this is the power of God's love. Forgiveness made possible through the finished work of the cross destroys the works of the kingdom of darkness. It's a big kaboom. When we forgive, that's what happens in the kingdom of darkness right there. Kaboom. Hallelujah. We throw a monkey wrench. <laughs> Now, there are some things to consider. Our Savior had no selfishness in him, right? He did everything out of selflessness and obedience to the Father. But us, on the other hand, we've got that soulish thing going on. We got pride. We got hurt. We have all that sin nature to deal with. But I want to point out that there was no selfishness or selfishness in Jesus. He just obeyed. And in his dying words... He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he did that while he was in torment, right? How many of us are in torment from people that are hurting us? And we just don't want to forgive. It's not fair. They don't deserve it. They didn't repent. I'm waiting for them to change. Well, we're going to wait a long time. So Jesus willingly died. And he paid the price, that forgiveness exchange, right? The debt paid, debt erased. He put the God, God the Father first. And he put himself last. And that's the clue to us, what we need to do to forgive. So we are called as Christians to die to self. And, and that particular scripture says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, which means wants to follow me, wants to believe in me, let him deny himself. And that means, hey, you you no longer come first. You no longer get to say, I'm offended. I have pride. How dare you? None of that. You got to crucify that on the cross. That's what it means to die to the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Take up his cross and follow me. And taking up that cross, it, well, I'm going to say it's a daily thing. Sometimes it's like an every second thing, depending on what's going on with you, right? Um, But that's really at the root of this. Really? To forgive? Are we dying to self? Are we taking up our cross? Are we willing to do that? What price are we willing to pay to obey God, right? 
Um, Charles Spurgeon had a great quote. He said, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one, simply that I may die to self and live wholly to him. That's a big statement. But it's simple, isn't it? it? You know, it's funny how things seem complex, but then they become simple. Amen. <laughs> well, we can feel amen, right? We'll get to that. So God actually commands us to forgive. All right, that's, that's in the words of Jesus. That's in the words of Scripture. Um, and in here today, I've put together, because there's a lot of Scripture references, I put together a handout of, um, I call them prescription scriptures. They're your prescriptions <laughs> um, to read and to help forgiveness. Um, so that's here as well as some references to some of the things I drew from for this uh, presentation. So God commands us to forgive. <sighs> Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He's looking for a number. Is it twice? Is it three? And Peter, in his eagerness, said, is it seven times? Oh, if we could only be that lucky, right? <laughs> Jesus said unto him, I saith not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And the point there is not to keep a little tally in your hand. Okay, you've reached 490, you're done. No, um, the point was 70 times seven means as, as long as it takes for as, as many times as you need. His point was, do it. I'm sure Peter was a little bit like, oh. Now, you know the parable, maybe, of the wicked servant. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. And um, I like Bree Keaton's uh, definition of wicked. A wick is a twisted, it's twisted thread. Wicked means twisted and evil. So the wicked servant is twisted, right? And it helps you kind of see that in your head. So Jesus was teaching immediately after saying about 70 times 7. He starts into this parable where he talks about a certain king. And this is the way the kingdom of heaven works. And when he had begun to reckon, which means he was looking at who owed him what, he was looking at his accounting statement. <laughs> one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And I guess one of the exchange rates I looked up said that was $226 million, okay, based on the exchange rate they had. Um, so that's a lot of money. Can you imagine? $226 million, right? And he couldn't pay it. The servant could not pay it. And the king commanded him to be sold and his wife sold and children and everything he had in payment to be made. And, and the servant was distraught. He fell down and he, he submitted himself as low as he could be completely and saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay all. I'll pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant, which is like our God, was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him that debt. Now, that's a great story, isn't it? Hallelujah. Oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> but that same servant. Now, isn't this like us? We go begging to God, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me. And you're, you're on your face and, and God gives you that peace and forgiveness. And two days later, you're driving in the road and someone cuts you off. And you're like, and the anger rises in you. And where's your forgiveness then? 
your kids back talk to you and you're like, oh, they never, they always. So that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is like 124 bucks compared to 226 million. And he actually laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. But that servant wouldn't. He wouldn't allow it. He cast that person into prison. I'm paraphrasing. So that uh, until his debt was paid. So when the fellow servants saw what was going on, they were very sorry. And they came and told their Lord what was happening. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto that wicked servant, Oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, a.k.a. hell, all right, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now, here's the scary part. So likewise, Jesus says, shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother, their trespasses. That includes leaders of our nation. That includes teachers, co-workers. You might have been hurt by pastors, family members, whoever it is, all of them. The one you haven't talked to in two years, whoever it is. The Lord's Prayer also gives us a, a command. Um, forgive us our debts as we which means in the same way as we forgive our debtors. Well, if you're not forgiving or you forgive begrudgingly and come back to it and revisit it like a dog to his vomit, I forgive you. <laughs> Next day, oh, man, they made me so mad. Mm-mm. You've got to forgive because if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you forgive not, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's a serious indictment. Serious. Oh, this just in. Unforgiveness is a sin. Do you realize that? It's a sin to harbor unforgiveness. I just thought I'd clarify that. Unforgiveness being a sin powers the kingdom of darkness. Now, do you want to give up? You want to give some some power to the enemy? Hold on forgiveness in your heart. I guess not. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Unforgiveness poisons you. You're the one that gets poisoned. And you carry that in you. It can lead to disease. It can lead to a spiritual infestation of all kinds of ugly thugs. And it defiles those around you. And this is what I found in my walk recently that, wow, I've been defiling people. I've been carrying around an attitude and negativity, uh, you know, where I could have been helping people and free, you know, that defiles people. Have you been around someone negative? Everything's wrong and blah, 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 and bitter, bitter, bitter. And you're like, yuck, you feel like you got to take a shower afterward. You know, you're silently pleading the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, <laughs> saying that stuff. You feel defiled. Well, we defile others when we hold that. 
It poisons those. And that is by design. The enemy wants that. That's how he steals, kills, and destroys relationships, churches, groups, the efforts. I mean, that's how he does it. It's a sickness. It's nasty. So I said forgiveness destroys the works of the devil. Here are the scriptures that back it up. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews 2.14b, through the... That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Hallelujah. We love that cross. Thank you, God, for the cross. Now, unforgiveness can be an actual demonic spirit. And I like to bring in the, the sons of thunder into this example. James and John, they're my favorites. I love them because they're kind of rowdy. Um, (laughs) and the sons of thunder had some problems with forgiveness of the Samaritans. Okay. And, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, um, and there was a long, long-standing grudge between the two groups of people. And the Samaritans worshipped in their area and their altar, and the Jews went to Jerusalem for all their feasts. So what happened here, this is Jew, uh, the last Passover for Jesus. And he said, we're going to go through Samaria. Hey, you guys go ahead, find a place where we can stay. Because they, they wanted to go through Samaria, not around. So they wanted to stay overnight there. And when the people that went ahead, Jesus' disciples went and said, hey, Jesus wants to stop here on the way to Jerusalem. Well, they got offended. Like, why aren't you celebrating here with us? We celebrate here. And when James and John saw that the Samaritans rejected them, (laughs) they were not operating in a spirit of forgiveness. Instead, they said, Lord... Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Even as Elias did, they were so excited they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And you know what? That's not from God. And Jesus, and this is where he clarifies, yes, it was a spirit. But he turned and rebuked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit you are of. Like, you got something in you, boys. You better calm down. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. But this, this is, um, you know, Jesus himself saying, you got, you got something going on in there spiritually, and it is not uh, what you think. And they learned. <laughs> Praise God. So it, unforgiveness can be a, a spirit. It can be a stronghold. And it has some really ugly thug friends that hang around with unforgiveness. And when you let unforgiveness in, you are inviting a bunch of trouble. Grudges, resentment, bad memories, bitterness, anger. You'll be unmerciful. You'll be vengeful. Those spirits come in as you, as you fester, as you think, as you let those thoughts get bigger and bigger, and you agree with all those thoughts of the enemy. Yeah, you should take, you should take revenge. They deserve this, and you know, blah, 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 and, and all that stuff. And it leads, leads to the three biggest ones, murder, suicide, and death. Those spirits, huge. And that's the ugly family photo that they would take it's you know i made a joke out of it, but it's not a joke it really is not a joke i mean once you start seeing this you'll see bitterness on people and you'll see it you'll go wow they're operating in a spirit of bitterness and it's serious it's it's a salvation thing it's serious so you don't want that um there's some differences between unforgiveness and forgiveness that are important to point out Unforgiveness is ruled by your emotions and feelings, okay? 
But forgiveness does not involve your emotions. You could feel horribly bad, hurt, trampled down, but you can willfully forgive somebody. Even if your feelings aren't coming along with it, it's an act of will separate from emotion. Okay? Unforgiveness is a sin, and forgiveness is a commandment of God. Unforgiveness puts self first, and forgiveness requires us to, requires us to die to self and put God first. And unforgiveness also shuts out the blessings of God. You know, God gives us commandments that protect us from evil and allow us to be blessed. It's a twofold thing, right? He gives us blessings when we obey, and he protects us from evil when we obey, right? So when we disobey, uh, we are shutting out those blessings, right? And when we forgive, we enable the blessings of God again and, and a closer relationship Unforgiveness imprisons, it defiles, and forgiveness sets us free and heals. Uh, we open the door to the demonic when we don't forgive, and when we forgive, we shut the door. We empower the kingdom of darkness with unforgiveness, and we destroy the kingdom of darkness with true forgiveness. And unforgiveness is facilitated by evil spirits and influenced by them, and forgiveness is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. A lot of people get these two things confused. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they are two separate things. You can forgive without anyone ever apologizing to you. It's you and you alone and God, okay? You don't need anyone's behavior to change. You don't even need them to be alive, okay? You make the decision to forgive. And reconciliation is totally different. Reconciliation is the willingness to reestablish a relationship, and it's a mutual thing. There's behavior change. There's agreement. There's repentance on both sides. There's trust building and trust earning. But forgiveness is separate of that. And forgiveness is unconditional. It doesn't require repentance on the, the part of the offender. But reconciliation does. So if you want to forgive your abuser... You can. It doesn't mean you need to get back together with them. That, that, that might not be the right thing. Um, so that I just want to clarify that because people get that confused. Oop. And, and to elaborate on that point, um, if you're being abused, God doesn't want you to stay in abuse, okay? And I like to look at Matthew 5.44, and it seems to me it's a, it's a gradation of severity of treatment by others. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Okay, love on our enemies. Bless them that curse you. We can do that. Bless them, do nice things, you know, extend a gift, do thoughtful things for, your, for those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Okay, we can do that. But notice how he says, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He didn't say stay with them. He said pray with them. Okay? So if you're in a, a life-threatening situation or you're in a situation where that person is going to put you in a position over and over again where you are not going to be able to catch your breath and forgive and it's going to crush your spirit and make you sin and you're at risk, you, you need to think about that and remove yourself from that situation. Okay? So forgiving doesn't mean accepting abuse and forgiving doesn't mean abuse is okay and forgiving doesn't mean murder is okay or any other offense it doesn't say it's right 
So forgiving, although it's required, doesn't make the offense right, okay? So remember that. We're not saying that. Because, you know, if we look back at all the things we've done in our life wrong, we've done a lot. Okay, and I'm going to give a little um, lead into this testimony. Um, This is the testimony of Renee. Renee um, lost her daughter, her 20-year-old daughter, uh, to a drunk driver, 24-year-old man. And this is her testimony of her path of forgiveness. Now, Renee talked, um, after her daughter died, she went on a campaign against drunk drivers. And she spoke to a lot of different places. And she thought that would heal her. It didn't. Not until she forgave. So here's her testimony. This one story in particular has had a profound impact on me. It's about a woman who did the impossible, and it made me ask myself if I could do the same. Renee had four kids. Two of her daughters were twins. Megan was coming home from the beach one night with her best friend when their car was struck by a drunk driver named Eric, a 24-year-old kid. Megan lost her life. Eric killed both girls that were in the car. Renee lost her daughter in an instant. Megan is um, a very joyful child and had a heart of gold, beautiful, loved people, loved her family, um, just a joy of my life. And um, when she was 20 years old, on May 11, 2002, my sister-in-law came to the door to tell me that um, Megan had been in a car accident and she didn't make it. You know, my heart was so broken and I looked at her and said, no, you're kidding. And you know, still looking for her to tell me that, that she's, this is not really true. That, Megan wasn't coming back home. Next thing she knows, she finds herself in a courtroom watching this young man, this 24-year-old man, get sentenced to 22 years in prison. After Renee lost her daughter, she said she found herself in the darkest place she'd ever been. This guy Eric was behind bars, but she said she felt like the prisoner. Why? Because she had all this bitterness and hatred built up towards that young man. And so she reached out and did the impossible. She reached out to Eric in prison and said, I forgive you. The ripple effects of that act of forgiveness are still being felt today. That young man's life was absolutely changed because this woman forgave him. He said, I can't even forgive myself, and she forgave me. One by one, all of Renee's family members followed her lead, and they reached out and expressed forgiveness to Eric. So much so that now they describe Eric as part of their family, like a son to Renee. The story doesn't stop there, though. Renee went to the courts along with her family, and she was able to have Eric's sentence cut in half from 22 years to 11 years. He told me that day, the the day of the hearing, that it didn't matter at this point. He said, you know, if, if the judge does not grant this for me, I want you to know that I am so grateful that you are willing to do this. And um, he said, and I will be okay. He said, I'll I'll be fine. But I'm just, he was blown away by the fact that we were willing to go before the judge and, and, you know, plead for him to not have to be there for 22 years. Stay.
give away the last thing on your mind today and it always goes to those who don't deserve it's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they cause is just too real takes everything you have to say the word forgiveness i was more than angry at eric I had so much rage inside of me, and yet the moment that I was able to look Eric in his eyes and tell him that I forgive him, you know, that was a moment that healing began for both of us. It's always anger's own worst enemy. And even when the jury and the judge say you got a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free. Forgiveness. A judge and a jury telling you that it's okay to hold a grudge you know that's what the world says it's okay for you to feel that way which it is but yet those feelings they're inside of you eating away at you and and you don't want to live your life that way People who are not going to ever have someone say to them, I'm sorry for what I did, or I take responsibility for what I did, and you still have to forgive if you want to heal. It can even set a prisoner free. There is no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really frees is you. Forgiveness. You're not letting go of what happened. You know, it is wrong. It, it should never have happened. It is not okay. It doesn't mean that you're canceling any of that out. But once you are able to say those words and truly mean it, you know, um, then you do find that you're setting a prisoner free. And the prisoner truly is you. inspired by Renee's story when I read it, but it took me a while to write her song. I kept her story in my guitar case for about two years, and I realized the reason why it was so difficult to write this song, Forgiveness, is because it's kind of hard to live that out. That's why the words of the chorus are sung in the form of a prayer. God, show me how. Help me to do the impossible. 
This story of forgiveness really makes me think that there's some pretty life-defining questions that all revolve around that one word, forgiveness. Questions like, is there somebody that I need to forgive, that I've been holding on to a grudge and it's weighing me down, every step's getting heavier and I just need to set it free. Another question is, is there someone that I need to go and uh, ask for forgiveness from? To say, I'm humbling myself, I'm sorry, no excuses, can we start over? Another forgiveness question, one that Eric has had to deal with in prison is, can I ever forgive myself? What if loving the unlovable means having to learn how to love that person you see when you look in the mirror? Sometimes that's not an easy task. Which really leads to the most significant forgiveness question of all, and it's this. Have I ever let it really sink in? The message of God's forgiveness, what he's done for me through his son Jesus dying on a cross for my sins. Renee stood before that judge along with all of her family members taking turns speaking on behalf of a guilty criminal and seeking mercy for him. I'm reminded that somebody has done that for me. Somebody has done that for you. His name is Jesus. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he do that? So that our stories could discover the healing, the victory, the redemption, the power, the freedom of one word, forgiveness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. There were some highlights to this, and I just want to point out that anger and rage had already made their their home with Renee as part of that family of, of spiritual evil um, evil spirits. So, and once she said, "For forgive, uh, I forgive you," the healing began. This is very important. The next testimony is Corey Tamboom. Um, Corey spoke all over uh, the world about forgiveness, and but she wouldn't go to Germany. And this is her testimony when she finally went to Germany and what happened. She was a Holocaust victim and her sister died in the Holocaust. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers guards in the concentration in concentration camp and that man said i have i'm now a christian i have found the lord jesus i read my bible and i know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world also for my sins i have forgiveness for the cruelties i have done but then i have asked god grace for an opportunity that i could ask one of my very victims forgiveness and Fräulein Tamboom, once in me forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing. And we had to stand naked. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus 
at the cross. And the Bible tells, they took his garments, he hanged there naked. Come on, let's stand up and give him some praise. Hallelujah. Now it's time to praise the Lord. We're going to praise him with dance and song, music, our hands, our feet. So get comfortable and let's praise our God. Amen. (laughs) Come on, let me see your hands together. Sing to the Lord, and I will lift my voice, for you have heard my cry. And I will sing to the Lord, and I will lift my hands, for you have brought me out of the pit. Brought me out of the pit, and I'll sing glory, hallelujah. I lift your name on high, I'll sing holy, cause you're worthy. I'll praise you in the dance, and I'll sing glory, hallelujah. I lift your name on high, I'll sing holy. Cause you're worthy, I'll praise you with the dance. I will praise you with the dance. I will praise you with the dance. Hallelujah! I will sing to the Lord, and I will lift my voice for you. Holy, 
Praise him in all things. Amen. Amen. The good and the bad and the ugly. We praise his name. Hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords. We want to lift you up. You are worthy, Father God. There is an endless song echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring, and though the storms may come, I am holding on to the rock I cling. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say Troubled times, see when I win, I can see when I lose myself and fall down again. I can see because you pick me up, see because you're there. I can see because you hear me, Lord, when I call to you in prayer. I can see with my last breath. For I know that I'll sing with the angels and the saints around the throne. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name?
We won't stop praising. Yes. Hallelujah. There is power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you have those you need prayed for, if you physically need prayer for yourself, come on up. Just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know that there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I see Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name.
Lord, you are worthy. We're never going to stop. Because you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Come on, take care and say it right now. Say it, you're never going to let me down. He's never going to forsake you or leave you. Let this be your prayer singing, come walk with me. Come walk with me. Speak to my heart. What's deep in me, only you know. Come walk with me. Come on, let's sing it again. Come walk with me. Speak to my heart. What's deep Excellent praise and worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're having church now, amen? Amen. Okay. Father in heaven, I ask you to anoint Pastor Stan, Apostle Stan. Double anointing upon his message today, and I ask you, Lord, to let the people's hearts receive what he has to say and to take it home with him and begin to walk in it and use it and build your kingdom, Lord. It's not here that we build the kingdom. It's in our homes, in our workplace, and in our lives. So let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Great and marvelous are the works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and... Glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee when thy judgments are made manifest. Wisdom and might are yours. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and help us to see and know and understand what you're speaking to us today. And that we would be a praying church, a praying family, and praying people. And be pleasing in your sight. 
close enough to you to get your guidance, protection, and provision. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when uh, I asked the Lord yesterday, what do you want to say? That's what he said. Tell him, come walk with me. And yes, I did ask her to sing that song, but I got that first, and so that came before the song. Come walk with me. Now, question, is this sentence actually in the Bible? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, the correct answer is no, it's not exactly in the Bible. However, it's pretty close to it. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil from your doings, from before mine eyes cease to do evil, and... David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So, it's not exactly in the Bible, but is it true? Yes, it is. All right, next question. Is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you in the Bible? Here's the answer. Yes, it is. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would men that should do that men should do to you, do even so to them. So it's not exactly in that words, but it is. Okay. So what's that mean? I think when we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, turn the tall black one off. When we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus will come forth, and He will serve us, and. Just like in the Bible study we read, uh, what, a week ago, Jesus was washing the feet of his servants. And Peter said, you will never wash my feet. He said, then you have no place with me. Because in the kingdom of heaven, basically what, it, 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 the world we live in now is I put myself first, I put myself above you, and I'm going to walk on you to get what I want. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's exactly the opposite. It's your first. I'm going to do what I can do to see that you're blessed. I'm taking care of you first. I'm putting you first. Exactly the opposite. So this says, whatsoever you would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. So we should treat others as we want to be treated. Why? Because great trouble, I don't have to tell you, everybody knows now. (laughs) Even the sinners know the Americans in trouble. Then he goes to the next point. He says, Do ye also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, meaning this is the basic thing in Christianity, putting your fellow brothers and sisters first. Then he says, Enter into the straight gate. That's the primary thing he wanted me to say today. Enter into the straight gate. Don't be a Sunday Christian. Be a seven-day a weak Christian. Don't be one that acts Christian when you're around Christians and then like the world when you're around the world. Okay? Enter ye into the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way and I think it's very interesting that they call the place where there's so many movies and plays are they call it Broadway. <laughs> Not just an accident, huh? Somebody knew. Enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, meaning there be that go thereat. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So what Jesus is telling Spirit of Prophecy Church today is, enter into the straight gate, 
follow the straight and narrow way. If you want my guidance, protection, my provision, if you want me to be with you in the trouble ahead, this is what you've got to do. You've got to walk in my ways. And what he kept impressing on me as I was praying before we started, we've got to watch our thoughts. Cast down those imaginations. Every evil thing. Cast them out. Cast them out. Cast them aside. Turn the eyes. Don't, don't look. Now let's jump to Isaiah. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Ah! You mean that I said Jesus coming to my heart. I attend church on a pretty regular basis. I read my Bible regularly. I pray regularly. I maybe even have a prayer closet. But I'm still doing these secret little sins. Do I have a problem? Yeah. I have a problem. For your hands are defiled with blood. That's not America. Well, that is unless you count abortion. Of course, God didn't count abortion, right? Oh, he does? He does, yes. For your hands are defiled with blood. So America's guilty there. Your fingers with iniquity. We're a nation of thieves. Our children are running into stores in mass and just raiding everything in the store these days. Walmart says it's closing a lot of stores up in the Chicago area because of that. Your lips have spoken lies. We are a nation of liars. The news gets on, and they tell us, you know, you heard what happened to Tucker Carlson, right? He got too close to telling too much of the truth. He had to bite the dust. Our lips are full of lies. We are a nation of liars. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Yeah, it's easy to, say, to keep a clean tongue when you're around Christians, Sunday morning. But how about when you're angry really angry, then what comes out? None call it for justice. This is, you know, we got this fast gap team. It's got over 700 people on it. Now, fast track has about 1,300 people, and we've been going almost 1,000 weeks now. Fast track is people that fast from midnight Tuesday evening to 4 p.m. the next day and pray for prophecy clubs, Dan and Leslie Johnson, our family, and things like that. Whereas Fast Gap has the same fast, but we're praying for America. One of the things we've just been praying for is justice. We can't seem to find justice. Our FBI is filled with liars and traitors and people that have been sold out, and they're not bringing the justice they're supposed to bring. Judges. I mean, our whole nation is filled with perverse. None calleth for justice. And yet that's part of our Pledge of Allegiance and justice for all. But we aren't getting justice in America. It's called polycrisis. World Economic Forum came up with it. And this is where there's a series of crises, crisis, 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 with no justice. And after a while, the people give up. 
crisis, 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 train derailment, stores, food shortages, lies in the, the Congress, lies in the, the movies, lies in the, in the news. I mean, you, you, if you just list them all down, you could get depressed. There's a program out there that covers that sort of stuff, but you probably don't want to. <laughs> None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. Does your soul hunger for truth? Amen. Do you hunger for justice? You know, I, wanna, I want somebody to stand up and say, yes, it is Hunter's laptop. And yes, he is under arrest for... <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him never again. This guy ought to be in prison at the very least. Nor any pleaded for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief. That's our government. And bring forth iniquity. We're sending billions of dollars over to help the wickedest people on the planet. That's Ukraine. I could go into that, but that's why they took me off before by talking about that. They hatch cockatrice eggs. Now, I looked it up, and of course, King James defines what it's talking about. Cockatrice actually means viper or snake eggs. So they hatch snake eggs, weave a spider's web. Okay, so Hillary comes up with a lie that Donald Trump did such and such. The FBI cooperates, goes to Twitter, cooperates. The other platforms, which I better not mention if I want to stay on them, cooperate. Where's the justice? Where's the truth in our nation? We used to be the nation that upheld the truth. So we hatch snake eggs. We weave spider's web. He that eateth their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. I heard it said that Pence, the reason he didn't do the right thing, I don't have all the details, I'm just saying this off the top of my head. When it came down to the very most important decision in the election that he apparently could have turned around, he didn't do the right thing. And he later said that they had his family, they were threatening by his family. Now, I don't know if any of that's true, but it sounds like the devil. All right, now let's go on. This is a dream of an angel visit that was given to Michael Boldea, which is Dimitri Dudeman's grandson. I dreamt I was walking down the street, but to the left and to the right of me, everything was utterly destroyed. If not for the foundation sticking out of the earth, one would not have known anything had once stood there. The entire street seemed to have been raised. From trees to homes to fences, everything had been flattened and annihilated. The tree, street curved to the left, and as I followed it, turning the corner, I was surprised to see one house standing a couple of hundred yards ahead of me on the right. There was nothing special about the house, a single-story home with a porch and a porch swing, once painted white by what I could gather, but have been taken on a charred look. I quickened my pace. As I approached the house, I heard what could only have been prayer coming from inside. That was no typical prayer. 
This was passionate, fervent. And the only time, and the only time I ever heard this kind of prayer was when we used to have prayer nights in our home in Romania during the communist occupation. Right now, America is under communist occupation, in my opinion. This was anything but restrained prayer gathering, and the voices coming from inside the house were praising God and giving glory to Him. I stood just short of the front step and listened to the prayers coming from within the house until in my dream I woke up. As I woke up from the dream, the man, this is the angel, that I've grown accustomed to seeing was standing at the foot of my mattress. Do you understand what you've seen, he asked, without prelude. I believe I do. I answered somewhat confidently, but the man gave me a look like one might give a slow-witted individual and said, perhaps in part, then reached out, touched my shoulder, and all of a sudden, I was back on the same street. And I realized this only because the house and the porch swing now are pristine white. It was the only thing that was the same in my previous dream because now there were trees and homes up and down the block. It looked and sounded like a typical neighborhood, but above the din of chirping birds and barking dogs, I could hear prayer coming from inside the home, from the porch swing. It was the same kind of fervent, passionate, prayer that I'd heard on the previous occasion. I strained to hear what they were praying for, but I could only hear snippets from time to time. As I made to, to climb the first of the three steps, I was back in my bed with the man standing patiently in my mattress. Now do you understand, he said? Tell them not to fear. Spirit of Prophecy Church, there's trouble headed our way. God is telling us, think about the last three or four months of sermons. Every one of them has been telling us not to fear. I got this, right? Okay. So we're not going to fear. Tell them not to fear, but to draw close to the Father in whom is shelter from the storm. That means no spot, no wrinkle, no sin. That's not the way you build a church these days. You've got to tell people that they're, they're blessed, that they're so good, you've got to make them feel good when they walk out. Yeah, well, obviously, my preaching ain't well received in at least the DFW area. There's some four million people here. Lots of folks know we're here. They choose not to come. They don't want to hear the real word of God. We live in a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but heat to themselves, or they hire to themselves preachers that will preach what they want. Around here you get what? Thank you. So I was hoping somebody would fill in the correct blank. <laughs> not what Stan wants, not what Leslie wants, is what God wants. Not to fear, but to draw close to the Father in whom is shelter from the storm and protection from destruction. I better read that again. Tell him not to fear. That's the point. He's saying, walk in the straight and narrow. Don't fear. Draw close to the Father, who is the shelter from the storm, protection from destruction. But, got to stay clean. 
Now you look like really clean people to me. I'm not talking about you took a bath or a shower this morning. I'm talking about, you know, seem like nice people to me. But he knows. He knows what's in your pastor's heart. And he deals with me on that. I figure if he knows what's in my heart, I woke disoriented, wondering for a while if this was yet another dream within a dream, realizing that it was not. I knelt beside my mattress and started to pray. Now, question. What was the difference between the first scene and the second scene? Between the raised and between the normal birds chirping, children playing, you know, a nice, typical American neighborhood. What's the difference? Yes, the time. I heard another word, too. Prayer. Okay, so did they get God's protection because they went to church? Because they read their Bible. Prayer. Now, here's the question that we got to ask ourselves. Are we praying? Well, of course we're praying. Yes, sir. Are we praying enough? Are they fervent prayers? Okay. Now let's take one. What's happening at our southern border? Military-age men from many different nations are coming in. Are we praying against that? Now, we've been praying against abortion for years, and it looks like a little bit of our prayer was answered. Are we praying against the evil in our government, against the evil in our business, against the evil in our churches? Okay, so now let's go to the next thing. I watched this yesterday. This is Dana Coverstone. He had another dream, and I'm going to have her pause it from time to time. We want to start at about the two-minute version, and we'll pause it from time to time. We'll stop and talk. Two minutes. There you go. It's coming. It does this for a second. I thought my audio was not working either. It's, it's okay. Hey, good afternoon, folks. I want to thank you for joining me today. Um, I want to say something before I share the dream. Uh, this dream lasted from April 17th to May 16th, almost a month, almost 30 days. It's been one of the longest dreams that I've had. <clears throat> and most of you know, if you follow me in the mornings, you know that I listen to a lot of news. I, I don't listen to news every day, every, every, all day long. But uh, a lot of what's in this dream could very much come out of, uh, out of what I watch and what I see. But I also know that as I've prayed about these dreams, uh, and I, I have spent probably 30 hours praying through this dream uh, throughout this week uh, and last week. Once I start having them, I start praying. I have sent it to Cherie, and her ideas kind of resonate, resonate with me as well. Um, so I just wanna, I'm calling it the Let Me Show You Something dream. Uh, it's very, very much real to life as we're as the things we're seeing that are going on, and also as I said, uh, it, it, it mentions some things that I have been I've been concerned about. Sharonda, uh, as both as a pastor, when I want you to pause, I'll just raise my hand. Citizen, okay. I think you'll see that come out. But I also believe that the overall, the overall, the overall commission of this dream, I believe that God is, is giving a lot more people dreams and visions. 
Yes, and I because agree. it's the last days. But I do believe that God is speaking. Uh, I really do believe that God is I need is to open. talk over him. Can you uh, hear me over him? Yeah. It's okay. wanting us to pray. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a paragraph and just kind of say, I'll, I'll read through the dream. I've debated how to do this. Um, I'm very, very, I'm very, very distressed by what I see in culture, but I'm also very, very, um, very, very encouraged by what I see, both in the dream and in the things that God has shown me before. Um, so here we go. The dream began with me sitting on the top of a very tall tree, looking down on fog and mist that hung over the entire nation. It was covering Canada and Mexico as well. It did not cover the water, just the, just the, na- just the nations. I could see the physical land cover covered in fog. It covered Canada and Mexico as well. But it looked like the fog was churning. It was moving. It was staying in place over the United States of America, not over Mexico or Canada. It reminded me of a locust swarm that you could see like in a National Geographic photo. It was just moving effortlessly, but it was also frothing. It was like... Uh, it was like steam coming off of hot coffee or hot cocoa or hot tea or something, but it covered, it was thick, and you could not see anything below what you were seeing from the top of the fog. And I was pondering the moving of the fog when the man appeared to me, and I believe the man is Jesus or represents the Holy Spirit at times, but he, he came out and he simply said, let me show you something. And he grabbed my hand and we stepped out in the air. Because I was in a tall tree looking down, I was kind of hanging you know, I like hold on to a limb with my feet on the limb looking at it, watching. <clears throat> I'm thankful that God sees all the things that are going on. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. Yeah. And I just had that, that sense. I was watching what was going on. I was about to be instructed or told some things. We descended down through the fog. The fog and once again, we were not flying. It was like we were walking, okay? Um, but the fog seemed to be very evil and very intentional. Like it was appearing to try to reach out and grab me with its, with its eerie, ethereal arms. It was almost like the fog was alive. Uh, it was dark. It was evil. But it was trying to grab hold. Uh, it kind of reminds me of just the cultural blanket that's been put over our country with some of the craziness that's out there. Uh, the man led me on until we reached the ground. And then he said, look up. And when he said that, I realized that the fog was gone. But I could see jets that were flying in all directions. And it, it appeared to be almost like 7 or 7.30 at night. Uh, it was dusk. Things were starting to come. The, 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 the lights were going off. People were getting ready for bed. Darkness was hitting. It was almost like I could see traffic had stopped and people were home going to bed and getting ready for work the next day. So in other words, I'm watching all these... these... Okay, now what's the fog? It's definitely evil, but what he's about to say is he saw planes disperse, circling like this over an area, another area, plain like this, and a, yes, a chemtrail. He even calls it chemtrails coming out, and then he saw another virus coming up. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's like, yeah, we don't need that. But again, see that all of that helps them move toward their new world order, their world government. That's where he's saying, go ahead. Yeah, it's going back and forth, north, south, east, west, flying in all directions. It was obviously dust. The lights were going out. And that's when I realized that I heard this loud hissing. And every single jet was spraying something out with the exhaust. Now, we would call these things chemtrails. And I've I've discussed some of that. 
And the jets flying north would be going north for a while, and they suddenly turn around and come back and spray the same way. The ones going east would go east over a couple miles and then come back. And it was like regional. It wasn't one jet going all the way north and south. Uh, it was it, it was it was not just east and west. It, there was like it was like every state had jets over it. Every state over every state, every region, every area in that sense. And the jets flying east and west, doing what the northern ones doing, they kept blanketing the country and whatever it was spraying. And time passed, and the jets disappeared. And then I saw people getting up, leaving their houses, going to work. So all this stuff was being done at night. And the sense that I have about it was that there's a whole lot of evil that's going on right here, right now, in our world. Uh, and they, and, the, and the, the spraying was, was going on at night. It was happening when no one was aware, no one was watching, no one was awake. Some people have criticized Dana and said, yeah, but some of his dreams didn't come to pass. I don't think his dreams are prophecies. I think that they are warnings. They are a call to prayer. What he's doing here, if you want to understand this, wouldn't you like to know what Jesus is seeing in the Spirit in our nation? Wouldn't you like to know what is really going on in the Spirit? That's what he's really telling us. He's really saying this is happening in the Spirit. And these events he's about to talk about, I'm going to comment on several of them. I don't think many of them are literal. I think many of them are saying this is a spiritual condition, a spiritual battle in the spirit, and he's telling us what we must pray against. They are prayer topics. So people that say, oh, well, it didn't happen. It wasn't intended to happen. It was intended that you pray and it not happen, right? Okay? It's like, well, all right, this just popped in my mind. I was doing some experiments with batteries. <laughs> you don't want to know. It, it's a long story. And I was setting up several of these little 12-volt batteries, and I was hooking them all in series and parallel, and this is a number of years ago, and all of a sudden I got a flash vision that I had overloaded one and one of these batteries had like exploded in my face. In the trash goes that experiment. Now, it didn't happen. So was the vision saying it's going to happen or was the vision telling me it's going to happen if you keep walking that path? See, that's what he's saying here. He's saying America... I'm trying to get you praying, if you will. But see, the problem is, most people don't want to know this stuff. They want to be oblivious. I'm just fine. Let me just have my house, my life, my children, da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is. I don't hear none of this stuff. So they're not praying. So guess what? Then it comes. I hope we get to heaven and none of what he says comes to pass. That's his job. Try to see it doesn't come to pass. So let's keep going. Almost as if it was some elite and corporate plan to poison poison the nation. And once Surely again, not. the fog was over Mexico and Canada, but it was not moving anywhere except the United States of America. Also, I realized that this probably is a real conspiracy. Things that were going on, things that we're seeing. 
and all that's happening in that regards. Um, it was happening at night, so nobody sees, nobody knew, nobody knows what's going on. People are getting up for school, getting on the buses, they're going to school, and then the next thing that happens is I see this. I was standing in Times Square watching those Jumbotron television screens, and a breaking news item was a major outbreak of a new virus. Now, mm. the timeline that I could tell in the dream, late summer, early fall, as the, as the news broadcasters were talking about this, the World Health Organization was laying out guidelines that must be followed regardless of constitutions or national law. Those are the two words they use, regardless of constitutions or national law. There were military tanks and Hummers. They started patrolling uh, as the announcements were being made. And I said to him, the man, that the jets appeared to be the source of the medical issue. And the man nodded and said, there's more to see. And we suddenly appear on the southern border. So here I saw that the news uh, the news was complicit and almost an accomplice with what was happening, what was going on, what was being said, what was being done. Um, obviously, somebody was behind it. It was happening at night. And so uh, who knows if that's the cause or who knows whatever. All, all we realize is that there is something sinister happening, something sinister happening in our world. Uh, there's something sinister happening and going on. And, uh, and it's, it's being allowed, it's being pushed, probably by those in power, but nonetheless. Then I saw an enormous line. As he said, there's more to see. Suddenly I'm on the, on the southern border. I saw an enormous line of volcanoes that seemed to have sprung up overnight. And they were just on the border. They covered from the western point of California all the way to Texas, just on the border. Literally, these were volcanoes on the border. They were very tall. They shadowed the ground. And the border... And they shadowed the ground, the border, and they were directly on the border itself. And I cannot emphasize this enough. It was volcan volcanoes on the border. And they were hundreds of miles in the air. The ground was shaking, seemingly creaking, and the volcanoes trembled. And they started erupting magma and lava. And then, suddenly, the entire border shook. And I saw the volcanoes appear to grow. And the ground below them looked like it was torn. Now, if you've ever seen a tree that gets knocked over in the wind or, or damage or tornado. And there was just a look like, like a little spot of, of a little spot of the, of earth that was open there. Okay. So the volcanoes tip backwards. They're still spewing lava and all these other things, but there was a hole where the volcanoes came up along the entire Southern border. And at that moment. Okay. Do you think that the prophecy or, so let me read it. Do you think that this is a prophecy saying that there's going to be a string of volcanoes along our southern border? Or do you think that instead it's simply saying that there's about to be great, a great deal of trouble along our southern border? But see, a lot of people say, well, the volcanoes didn't come. They don't understand. Okay? We understand. We say... Uh, you don't understand that? You don't get that? It's not yeah. No, it's not literal. What he's saying is that there's going to be fires, there's going to be trouble. The biggest problem in the immediate future for us to pray against is the southern border. That's what he's saying. Now there's more to come. Keep going. All sorts of people dressed like normal migrants came running out and they were sprinting. They were running as hard and as fast as they possibly could. To get into the country. 
And as they ran, they were taking off backpacks. They were taking off backpacks, and they were pulling out weapons, and they were putting together weapons. There are some, uh, some, they spread it on, and they were moving with skilled intent and military precision. Military. They, they would come together to a house, they would go in, they would, you'd, you'd see gunfire, they would run out, not taking a thing, not at all. They were brutal, they showed no mercy. And there were some that carried samurai swords, and they were beheading many people along the way. So what I saw this is that, that we don't have a, a an, immig- an immigration issue. We have an invasion going on. So what do we do? <clears throat> we don't get scared. What we've, we've got to do is get to a new level of prayer, specifically praying against this stuff. We'll talk more at the end. Keep going. And what you don't know will kill you. People are looking at the wrong things. People are seeing the the whole wrong issue of of what's going on out there. Instead of looking at what's really happening and seeing what's really happening for the danger that it is, we just kind of push it off and, oh, Washington will fix that or whatever. I saw death and destruction. I saw danger. I saw chaos on the border, and it was rushing towards us. It was rushing north. This was on-purpose dismantling. This was also on-purpose distraction. Back at Times Square, the broadcaster was informing citizens that spectacular eruptions on the southern border were getting people out of their homes to watch. So now they're saying, hey, 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 folks, you need to go out of your homes and watch these watch these incredible uh, magma fields. Watch these incredible volcanic eruptions that are going on. <clears throat> go outside and watch. He also encouraged anyone within 100 miles of the border. That's exactly what he said. If you live within 100 miles of the border, you need to go outside immediately and see if you can see them from where you are. And I said to the man, that newsman is trying to get people outside. So what's the 100 miles from the border? I think it's saying that those people literally are in the danger of their lives. They don't know it. How far are we from the border here? I was going to say four or five hundred miles. Yeah. But even if you're on foot, what are the, just walking is 20 miles a day. So even if it's 400, 400, 500 miles, we're not out of range yet. But our prayers, see... But our prayers, they keep going. So they'll be killed. And the man nodded. And then he said, there's more. And suddenly we're standing outside the Capitol in Washington, D.C. I think all of us know that the news media is complicit with the lies that are coming out of our leadership. Things are happening. Then I could hear all kinds of noise going on inside the Capitol building and someone yelling into a bullhorn. Now, look, a bullhorn is just a cheap way to get attention. When you don't have a sound system or good balance of stereo or speakers, you use a bullhorn. It's cheap communication. But these people were talking about taking the country back and making people listen. And there were screams that seemed very demonic and just wild to be coming out of humans. It was like growls and screams and cries, demonic, almost like banshees. 
And there was a fence outside the Capitol building that surrounded it. But suddenly police and military came and they tied ropes. They kind of like threw ropes up with, with, with uh, like a, like nooses on them. And they grabbed the top parts of the, of the fence and they began to pull them down. They were pulling with all their might, pulling the fences down. They bent the fences over. What does this they didn't sound push like? pushed them out of the way. They didn't knock them down. They pulled them down. And then just as suddenly, the doors of the Capitol pushed open, and the congressmen, congresswomen, senators, faces and people I recognize, people who are in power and leadership, elected officials at the federal level, they came rushing out into the streets, and they were jumping and leaping and stepping over those fences. And they were armed. They were armed with guns and clubs. And they began attacking and beating any, any citizen that was close. And they left this extremely bloody trail and they pursued people until the people became so exhausted they dropped from exhaustion and then they beat them to death. What's that? I watched elected officials beat these people to death. Now, I do not think this is what's going to happen. I think the whole point of it is the people who were there were the ones that make the laws, the ones who, who put, provide for those things out there. Internal revolution? But it was horrific because they were beating people to death in the streets and it was getting darker. It was horrific to the point I said to the man, why are our elected officials doing this to the people? Well, this time he didn't move his head. He didn't nod. He didn't move his head at all, but he said there's more to see. And it suddenly became very, very quiet. Folks, we have laws that are changing and shifting. We have people that believe that men can be pregnant, that men can be women, women can be men, and everything else. And we know better. We absolutely know better. We're starting to see culture believe every single lie that's pushed out there. And then we have new laws that are being passed that protect those lies. Think about that. Yeah. The Congress began to beat these people to death. They were, they, were, they were attacking ordinary citizens. I saw families taking pictures outside the Capitol who were just pummeled and beaten down by people. And the elected officials who were running were covered in blood from the people who they'd beaten to death. And they just, just kept on going. They were looking for somebody else to attack and beat on and he didn't move his head. When I said, why are our elected officials doing this to the people? He didn't move his head at all. He just simply said there's more to see. Well, I, I, obviously, 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 we know what this is. We know the government's corrupt. We know the government has compromi compromised everything it is and was and is going to be. Not to be trusted. We're not going to be a help to us at all. I will continue. The difference in what I just had heard with the screams for help and the people running was significant because now everything is quiet. So I've seen the jets spraying. I've seen the volcanoes erupting. And then when they, when, when the distraction of the volcanoes was going on, people were watching. People were running out from the, from underneath the train and headed towards anyone they could get to, getting to America. And they were headed north, folks. No one was headed south. I was standing on the banks of a river early in the morning. Now, I drive across the Cumberland River every, every, most every day here in Cumberland County. From time to time, I'll say it's the Amazon and the Cumberlands, and the uh, Amazon and the Cumberland, because when you drive across at the right time, all the fogs down there, and you can see the tree banks on both sides. It looks like something from the Amazon River, but I know it's not. So I'm standing on the banks of the river early in the morning. It was morning quiet, and, and, and if you're a morning person, you understand there's just a morning feel. 
There was a small amount of fog that began to dissipate, and there were frogs croaking in the background. You hear fish jumping in the water. Suddenly there was no noise at all. It became deathly quiet. It was almost surreal. I remember being almost uneasy because it was so, so quiet. And then the man stood beside me quietly and he pointed to his ear. He did this twice. He went and pointed across the river. So he taps on his head, taps near his ear twice and points across the river. So I walked to the edge of the river and I listened as, as intently as I possibly could, but I could hear nothing. So I began to strain because I knew that the man had pointed twice and po- tapped his ear twice and pointed. He was telling me to listen. And finally, I began to hear what sounded like muffled little cries. The fog continued to lift. I could see the sun shining. And now I'm looking at a little country church. And at the end, it was at the end of this long gravel road, but there were no cars. There were no cars parked near this church. And I could hear people inside that little church. The windows were open. I could hear them crying out. And there was a wisp of fire, just a little wisp of fire. Like if you got a fire that's almost dying, there's a little wisp of fire that was on the on the roof of that church just burning. I could see it in the sun. It's a little church, little country church, windows open, and this long gravel road, but there were no cars. So I immediately got the idea that nobody drove here. Everybody walked down this long gravel road, that uneasy gravel road, and they came down there with one reason. That reason here comes was the important part. They were crying out. They were repenting. They were calling out names of elected officials. I heard governors' names. I heard senators' names. I heard congressmen's names. I heard I heard leaders in this country. I heard those people calling out their name and asking God to expose the corruption in them, asking God that they would repent. I'm asking God for conviction to come to their hearts, their lives, and their mind. They were praying that corruption would be exposed. That was the highlight of it. And they were praying in tongues. I'm Pentecostal, unashamedly going to say that. I pray in tongues on a daily basis. I spent about the last half hour before I shared this dream, praying in tongues in our foyer in the, in the, in the sanctuary. They were praying in tongues, but something else that caught my attention, I heard specifically English and in Spanish. Now, I don't speak Spanish. I have a Hispanic daughter-in-law. My son married a Hispanic girl who's a wonderful addition to our family, and she's very fluent in Spanish. My son needs to do a whole lot better with Spanish, but nonetheless. I heard them speaking in English and in Spanish. I kept hearing certain Spanish words. I knew they were praying in English and in Spanish. And they were praying with a passion. It was refreshing. And and I'm going to walk closer to the building in this dream, but I began to see the people inside. They were packed. There was no walking room. I would have loved to have been a part of that, but I'm a Mm -hmm. walker, so I'm probably going to stay outside. But nonetheless, these people were packed together, and they were praying, and they were praying with passion, and there was fire in their prayers. There you go. And they were going, I mean, they were going at it. Have you ever been just in a Pentecostal prayer time where where the focus is on, and God's presence is there, and the fire is hot? You know what I'm talking about. It was that type of an atmosphere. There's more. There was a standing table. There was a standing globe, like a little, little pillow. There was a globe. Like one of the things you see in the school and you could spin. 
and it was standing on a pillar near the pulpit. And there were people who had laid their hands on that globe. That's right. They laid their hands on that globe and they began, they were praying for the nations. They were calling out for kings and queens and prime ministers and leaders and officials and presidents. They were calling out the leaders of nations. I heard Zelensky's name. I heard Putin's name. I heard King Charles' name. I heard Trudeau's name. I heard the Mexican president's name. I heard different places from all. People were just praying. And this whole room was full of, nobody was talking or looking around. They were engaged in prayer the whole time they were there. And they were praying. They were praying intently. They were focused. There was passion. There was fire. They laid their hands on that globe and they were praying for the nations. And they were praying for those nations by name. I began to pray on the outside of the window. And the man said to go tell them he was pleased with their passion. But they must Did you not hear that? stop. That's right. This was an absolute determined cry on God's behalf to Come tell on. the church, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop That's praying. Don't think it's to too today. bad. Don't think it's too ugly. Don't think it's too shy. We've got to keep praying, folks. And I believe, once again, this dream was a call to prayer because things are happening and going on right now that we know are awful, terrible, tragic, un-American, ungodly, unbiblical. But you know what? There's a church that needs to be praying and focused. Don't worry about who's not praying. You be praying, right. encouraging those that aren't praying to pray. Warn your neighbors. Warn your friends. Warn your family. Tell somebody what's going on. Our nation is in trouble. We know the Antichrist is probably out there ready to make his, make his appearance. I believe that. I really do. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But we see the asphalt being laid for the Antichrist to walk in on. We see the digital currency concept. We see right. the global elites calling for the great reset and all these other things. These people were praying. And of all the things that I saw in the dream that stood out, this is the one that I had for the most. I, 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 all those other three scenes played out over about three weeks, okay? But then I saw this part to the last, the last chapter, uh, paragraph I'm going to tell you about. I, ha I saw this over the last week and a half. Over and over and over, all I heard was prayer, 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 prayer. He says, go to them and tell them he was pleased with their passion, but they must not stop. So I'm going to take that personally. If you're a praying person, if your church is praying, keep praying. I don't care if they won't listen. I don't care what's going on and what's not happening. You keep praying. You keep trusting God. You keep believing. You keep the fire. Or you keep stoking the fire that's in you and around you. Keep stoking it out. Keep stoking it. Keep stoking it. Keep stoking it. Keep praying. Keep trusting God to use you. Keep sharing with, with your friends and family. Jesus Christ is coming back. And if you're not ready, you're going to repent. And then There's he said more. to me this. There's more. Prayer is the most effective way to push back the darkness that is both here and coming. That's the point. Nobody has to tell us it's going to get worse. We know that it is. Period. We know that it is. Prayer is the most effective way to push back the darkness that is both here and coming. Folks, don't stop praying. Don't stop holding on. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Paul said pray without ceasing. Now's the time to do that. Now's the time to get that going. Now's the time to pray like we've never prayed before. Now's the time to pray our families and our friends in. Now's the time to pray the people we work with in. Why? Because our leaders, our borders, our people in the medical world, they need our prayers. 
because the compromise that is coming and will continue to come is going to water everything down in ways that we've never seen before. There's one more thing. After he said, you know, prayer is the most effective way to push back the, the, the darkness is both here and coming, he said, he then breathed towards me. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm next to the building looking at him. Building's behind me, the church's behind me with a little, little fire on the top, okay? He breathed towards me and it went past me, and it felt like a hot breeze on an August summer day. It was hot. I mean, it was hot to the touch. We moved my daughter to Phoenix, Arizona several years ago. We did it in August because she worked at a school. And I remember stepping out of the car thinking, oh, man. You just immediately start breaking out in, in sweat because it's so, it's so humid. Or not humid, just so hot. That was what it felt like. This, this hot breath goes by me. It went through me. And it made the, the even in the, in the dream and even at night, it felt like the, the hair on my arms was standing up because of what had just gone past me, the breath of God. Here it comes. And when it got to the building, it set the entire church on fire. There was fire there before, but when he breathed on it, that's when the fire erupted. And it was like a burning bush that was not consumed. And even looking in the windows, you could see the fire was inside the building. So they've been praying with passion, passion, passion. A little bit of fire on top, but when Jesus breathed towards us, toward that church of people praying, it erupted. I mean, it was like... Like you hear that whoosh sound. That was what it was like. And people were praying. There was fire on all of them. They were praying and loud, and they got louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. It was exciting. What was the purpose of the whole dream? What was the point of the first dream from Michael? Pray. Pray. So we've got two people, credible people, that have had two dreams that says right now the number one thing we need to be doing is praying. Now I've thought about this. So I'm saying, so Stan, is, is the, do, we, do we need to fire up and relook at doing this solemn September assembly? I, it's, it's not here. Now maybe someone can pray it comes here, but it's not here for me to do that. Uh, just to tell you what I actually think is happening, uh, I think that there's a very, very real possibility I'll be in Israel, and I've got some very serious things to do over there, and it's not time to talk about it. But I don't feel like, again, I'll keep praying about it, but I don't feel like it's time to call another solemn September assembly. Nor do I think it's time for us to just gather together as a, as a church and pray. That's good, but that's not the solution. What I feel in my heart, and you're not going to like this, because this is going to get you out of your comfort zone. This is going to be asking you to do something like towards the top of the I don't want to do list. And that is, I think that every one of us needs to go somehow knocking doors in our neighborhood and getting our own Bible studies in our own house with our own neighbors set up. Why? Because we're not a local church. We're a DFW regional church. We have people drive 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour to get here to this church. 
in a time of trouble, if there's no gasoline or if there's no transportation, you're going to be glad you have a local Bible study. You're going to be glad that you, and, and I know, I know I'm sitting here saying, I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, I don't really want to go out and knock on my neighbor's doors. I don't want to do that. But I think that's what we need to do. I think we need to, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I could just like, I'm trying to coward my way. Of course, this is the guy that was a door-to-door salesman for six years. This is the guy that taught sales courses for 13 years. And I don't want to go out and knock doors. Because I know how to do it. You don't know how to do it. I've knocked so many doors I can't even, not only residential doors, but business doors. Six years door-to-door residence, 13 years business door-to-business door. And I know how to take rejection. I know how to do it. I could teach. Am I talking to myself? Teach you how to knock doors. Maybe I need to do that. There is a technique. There is a right thing to do. And a wrong, there's plenty of ways that are wrong, and there's only one or two right ways to do it. I thought, well, okay, well, maybe I could just top up a page and just go around, you know, like stick it in the door and just, hey, if you're interested, call me. And that's probably necessary for the doors where they don't answer, they're not home, or something like that. But I probably need to go out and knock on all the doors in my neighborhood and say, okay, we need to have a Bible study. And I'm not talking about Bible study from the church Friday, and I'll continue to do that. But I need to get to know my neighbors because we need to have that kind of prayer in all of our homes. Right or wrong? Look it. When there's no food and there's no transportation and you can't get up here to church, you're going to be really glad you got to know your neighbors. You're going to be really glad that you know which ones are Christians and who you can count on. I know you're saying, I don't ever want to do that. I don't either really want to do that. So I'm talking myself into this more than I'm talking to you into I'm talking to myself up here. But I think that's essentially, you pray about it. You pray about it. I don't know, maybe I need to do some teaching on how to knock a residential door. I had, you know, we had hail Friday night. Saturday morning at like, Eight o'clock, somebody is knocking on my door saying, I'm willing to get up on your roof and inspect your roof, see if you have any damage. I thought, now that guy's on, on, you know, he's on the ball. But a couple of things wrong. No offense to the guys that have beards here. But this guy had a long beard, uh, dressed in not very nice clothes, and had big, dark sunglasses, and long hair, he looked like a beatnik. And I'm thinking, I want to let this guy get on my roof. I don't think so. You know, I don't think I want to do business with him. In other words, you, you need to look like, yeah, safe. That's the way I'm, you need to look safe. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you just a couple of techniques. Okay, so here it is, a couple of techniques from a professional door knocker. When you're going to knock a door or ring a doorbell, by the way, I did not ring doorbells. I knocked. 
And the reason is, is because I'm sending a friendly sound first. How, how can I do this? No, that's not. <laughs> ah, it's anchored down. This one move? Okay, here we go. Okay, so here's the way I knock the door. Are you serious, Stan? You want to get in? Then, then you'll listen. Here, here's the door knock. Why? They already think it's a friend at the front door, right? I also, when I'm walking up, I'm looking at the house, I'm looking at the flowers, and I'm looking for something to start a compliment with. Something is nice about that door, you know? You know, the door's not been painted for a long time. You can find something to say. So I knock on the door. Right? And then I look at the door. I stand about an arm's distance from the door. I don't stand a long way back. I stand about an arm's distance from the door. When they open the door, I take a half a step back. Everything I do, everything I say, I'm trying to tell them I don't want in. I'm smiling. I'm not trying to here to hurt you. I'm, I'm safe. Everything I'm doing is saying my, my body language, I'm safe. And then here comes the compliment. The first thing I say is the compliment. I love those flowers. How did you get that paint to look so good? Fabulous car. I made one sale and I said, is that your car on fire out here? That guy came bolting through the... Nah, I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. He let me in, I made a sale. There's more to it, but what I'm saying is I, I think God is saying every one of us needs to become our own little prayer house. And the way we're going to do that is finding neighbors in our neighborhood, pray, Lord, Show me what to do. Let me tell you how Bible study started, and then I'll close. I'm late today. It was about 19... It might have been 86, but I think it was 87. 1987. I had typed up a, a one-page front and back on why I felt like Revelation 18 was talking about America as the mystery Babylon. And I had it in my hand. I was walking out the front door to my car. And this lady across the street, whom I'd never seen before, it just came out of my mouth. I said, are you a Christian? Big smile on her face. She says, why, yes, I am. I said, well, do you like Bible prophecy? Bigger smile. She says, why, yes, I do. I thought, okay. Well, would you mind taking this and reading it and tell me what you think? I'd be delighted. So she gets her car, drives off, get my okay, end of story, right? So I come home that evening, I walk in the door, Leslie says, What did you do? Yeah. <laughs> which which job are you talking about? You know? I don't know, what are you talking about? She says, We've had six or eight neighbors call. And they want you to teach them Bible prophecy. 
Really? Me? So I thought, what do I know about it? You know, I mean, but then, I, then it came to me, well, if you want to know something, teach it. Have you heard that? If you want to know it, teach it. So I thought, well, I want to know it, so it's a good opportunity for me to start teaching it. So I got my little three-foot by four-foot whiteboard, my little tripod, I set it up, and the six or eight people from our neighbors. But I didn't even know them. They all came into our home, and... I'll never forget, I was probably into the first paragraph or two, writing on the little marker board, and I wrote on it, and I think a, a marker fell off or the, lead, the, the leg or something came undone. Anyway, it was a mess. Up. I said, isn't that just like it? You know, you're trying to make a point, the devil, devil makes a distraction. This one lady stands up, and she says, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out of here. Don't say anything, Stan. Just because you ain't never seen nobody pray like that before, don't say nothing. Okay. Well, come find out that lady was filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost. What's that? See, I was raised Baptist. We don't have none of that Holy Ghost tongue-talking stuff, you know. Well, about three months later, that lady was one of two ladies, along with Leslie, so it'd be three of them, that prayed for me to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she gave us a lot, and we gave her some. So our little Bible study became a little rock in the middle of our neighborhood. And that's what I really feel like he's calling us to do. And I just, I know your, your spirit right now is saying, America used to be when you got a new neighbor, you knocked on the front door with cookies or cake or something, right? You invite them over for a dinner. Now it's like, okay, the neighbor on this side, <laughs> the neighbor on this side, he's a good guy. The neighbor over there, he's a Muslim. We don't talk. That's what it is in our neighborhood. So there's some barriers I guess Stan needs to lower. <laughs> If you're, if you're taking what he said, that's real. I could have read it. But I don't think I could have delivered the message the way he delivered it. If we're, if we're, if we're, if we're seeing it as a prophecy, we can say, ah, probably won't happen. But if we know that the man's hearing from God, if we know that he's telling us this is what Jesus is seeing in the Spirit, and you best get praying. If we, can, if we can really open our heart and let that message come in, we're going to probably get together with our husband or wife and say, Honey, we need to go meet some neighbors. I know what Leslie's going to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. So... I guess I'll go ahead. But I can't, if I can't ask you to do it if I'm not doing it, right? 
You're supposed to say, no, 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 Stan, we'll do it. You don't have to do it. I believe in our neighborhood there's going to be a time my neighbors are knocking on the door with blankets and pillows in hand. And I'm going to be able to say, come on in. I still have electricity, even though you don't. Not only that, but I have food. But I also have the gospel. And I look forward to the day that that Muslim across the street received Jesus. And it's going to happen because I go out. <coughs> twisting my arm here. So I'm, what I'm saying is it's not comfortable for me either. But I think this is what the Lord's telling us we need to do. So, having made a mess up here, where's my... Ow! Back's hurting. Bill? He just walked in the other room just a second ago. Okay, there's the scriptures for it. You guys have Jesus in your heart? Low? Well, okay. You folks online have Jesus in your heart? 14, 1500 people watching online have Jesus in your heart? If you don't, ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Ask him to come into your heart and be your God. And if you do, send me an email. Oh, man, forgot that slide. Send me an email. You can slide down and see it. All right, anyway. Lord, speak to our heart. Speak to our heart and give us confidence and help us to do what we need to do in each one of our situations, to be that that house of fire with prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming.